All right, kids, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Miss Amy is there now. So you can go back if you're waiting for Children's Church. Uh, the rest of us, if you have a Bible, you can uh, open it up to Romans, which I know is kind of weird, but we're going to get there. So today, uh, if you're just joining us online or um, just joining us in the room, today we're starting Advent, and I just want to say thank you to uh, the team that was here yesterday and decorated. Looks great in here. It's always fun, and it's always a disappointment in January when we take this stuff down, because it's like, oh man, the walls are bare again, right? Um, and it just, the room feels different. Uh, same for your house, too. You take the tree down, you're like, I got all the space now, what am I going to do? Um, but... Uh, you've probably, again, already noticed a few different elements. We're lighting candles. We're uh, using creeds. And all of these elements are really just intended to get our focus looking forward, uh, both to the first coming of Jesus at Christmas and to the second advent or coming uh, or arrival uh, of Jesus at his return to set up his kingdom. As an Alliance Church, that's one of our uh, fourfold things that we really talk about is that Jesus is our coming king. And Advent is a time really when we look to that. Uh, most of us, like, you know, we live in this culture. People were putting up Christmas trees like after Halloween. So it's really hard for us to wait, but Advent is a time when we, uh, we wait. Um, and, and here's what I want you to hear. Observing things like Advent is not a requirement. It's not, this isn't, you know, Jesus said, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, my burden is easy, my yoke is, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Come with me, I'm, I'm um, you know, I'm, I'm lowly in spirit and gentle. And so this is not a requirement. This is not something we're adding on, like you have to do this or you're not a good Christian. It's really just a tool, an idea that followers of Jesus have been using um, as a way to help us push back against the world that is trying to get us to move, as we've seen for the last few weeks, faster and faster, more and more. And it's a time for us when we say, Advent is a season when we say, no, we're not going to, uh, we are going to sit in the waiting because we believe that God is there in the waiting, in the tension of the waiting. That's where God is. He's present with us and we want to hear from him. We want to sense his presence, we want to find him. So it's, it's not a requirement, it's an invitation. Any spiritual practice in the Christian life is an invitation into life with Jesus, but it's not a requirement. Uh, and so th there's no guilt or shame. Your life and who you are, as we've been saying since we've been doing the, uh, since we did the series on hurry, your life is just a culmination of the things that you do, right? Your habits, your practices is kind of who you are. And so if you want your life to be filled with the themes in Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love, uh, there's a path to that. And, and what we're saying is that incorporating something like the spiritual disciplines, and in particular this time of year, something like Advent, uh, may just be a tool that you can use. So with that in mind, uh, I put on our church website a link to a really great Advent devotional that actually Trish opened my eyes to a few years ago. It's done by Biola University. Uh, they've already started a couple of them. I put a link on our website. You can sign up and get the email devotionals. There's actually a lot of video content this year, which is pretty cool, um, but it's right on lansdown.church, and there's daily devotionals that you can uh, check out. But let me pray, and then we're going to dive in kind of to, to, for hope this week uh, of our theme for the first week of Advent. Let me pray. 
Jesus, again, thank you for this moment to slow ourselves down, be present with one another in this room and with those who are joining us online. We thank you for the technology we have to be able to do that, uh, to include people who might not be able to be here in person. Uh, and, and Father, I just ask that as we focus on um, your son's coming again, as we also focus on his coming the first time and retell those stories over and over and over, year after year, the same story this time of year, so that our life would be uh, centered around and oriented around the story of Jesus in us. I just pray that uh, you'd give us fresh eyes to see what you want us to see this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're focused on hope. And if you think about the word hope, right, we use that word a lot. We say things like, I hope this, I hope that, I hope uh, I hope I shed the Thanksgiving pounds pretty quick. I hope uh, Christmas dinner is just as good. Uh, we hope that it doesn't snow, even though it did a little bit last night, uh, right? We hope all these things. Uh, and in this time of year right now, I think many of us are probably, especially on this morning, like between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you start to come off of maybe the either the the, the amazing day that Thanksgiving was, or for some of us, the disappointment that Thanksgiving day was, and we start to then now look ahead to Christmas. It's going to be great, or it's going to be this, or it's going to be that. Uh, and sometimes we have different years, and sometimes things happen, and so we're, we have hope in these things. And, and in the scriptures, over 200 times that word is used. As you begin to sort of see how that word is used in the Bible uh, as a whole, here's a summary for what hope is. Hope is a confident expectation in the future. It's a confident expectation. Uh, some said it's an a contagious enthusiasm for what will come. Now, you've been around a hopeful person before, and that contagious enthusiasm really is a helpful definition. And so the idea is that you're looking forward to the future with this expectation, this confidence, uh, that there's a blessing or something on the other side of what you're hoping for. And so hope is a good thing. God wants us to be filled with hope. In fact, it's part of who he is. And so during the season of Advent, we start with hope and we're asking the question, who or what can I actually put my hope in? Right? And I, obviously, this is the time for the Sunday school answer, Jesus is the answer. Uh, but let's try to answer that by looking at Romans 15, and we're just going to focus on verse 13. Paul writes this book. It's a letter to the Christians in the city of Rome. Uh, it's, it's one of the letters in the New Testament, and maybe you're not that familiar with the Bible, but that's what those letters or those uh, books with kind of the weird names are, Ephesians, Corinthians. Uh, these are epistles, letters that somebody wrote to Christians in that city. But this book of Romans is considered his sort of crown jewel. It's like Paul's greatest hits. It's his uh, magnum opus, right? It's a beautiful letter. And in the book of Romans, he's going to go chapter 1 through 11. Now, we, you know, we took a long time in John. If we tried to do Romans like we did John, it'd be like four years because Romans is just that thick. So chapters 1 to 11 is really Paul laying uh, the, the, the foundation of theology, right? He's, he's digging out the earth, doing the groundwork of theology. He begins to talk about how all of us are condemned before the Lord because of our sin, but then he talks about this good and gracious God making a way for us where there was no way. We weren't going to get out of it, but God makes a way. He talks about promises that were given in the Old Testament to Abraham. In chapter 5, he talks about justification. Uh, I, you know, I, when I was a student pastor, some of my kids would say justification is when God makes you just as if 
Sin hadn't happened, which is kind of helpful, but not quite. But he justifies you in his sight. Uh, That's chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And in chapter 8, we hear about sanctification and glorification, which is God making you into what you are and then God, you actually being what you are. Uh, in, in glorification. And so Paul is doing all this work, and then he talks about God calling people to himself, that God is rescuing people and calling them to himself. And so Paul is laying out these truths of salvation in these chapters. And then in chapter 12, he takes a turn and he talks about how these truths aren't just some idea on a shelf, they don't just live in the sort of the ether of ideas, but they actually work themselves out in your life and in your daily living, right? And so he's going to do that in 12, 13, 14, and 15 in those chapters. And then in 16, Paul's actually just kind of closing the letter with some remarks. And so really the end of chapter 15, and in particular verse 13, uh, Paul um, is basically ending the letter. It's sort of a benediction. In fact, today and for the next few weeks, we're going to use that as our benediction. And it's like in this moment, Paul has just penned through the power of the Holy Spirit, this unbelievable doctrinal treatise. Like that's what he's done. And, and if you were to go into, uh, you know, Bob Anderson's bookshelf or you come down in my office, you'll find theology books. But this one is the one that Paul has written. This is really in amazing, incredible stuff. And there's now books written about this book that Paul wrote through the power of the Spirit. And so he's laid out this really compelling, really beautiful, rich theology of all that God has done for us in Christ. So much in there that you have to, this is a book that you have to read for a lifetime to really begin to mine the depths of it. And then Paul talks about, again, how these truths aren't just things that we keep in our head, but they work themselves out in our daily life. The author of the book that we just studied for three weeks uh, likes to say that this is getting these truths into our muscle memory, into our bodies, into our daily practices. And then it's almost as if Paul sits the pen down, breathes out this prayer for the people who are reading this and for you and for me. And so Romans 15, 13 is a benediction. It's a prayer. This is what Paul says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we're just going to break this down by phrases and just walk through this. He starts with, may the God of hope. So here is uh, what, what I hope you, if you don't walk away with anything else, this is what to walk away with. That God is the source of hope and he's the one who will give you the hope that you need. Right? Another way to say he's the source and the supplier of the hope. And so you see this right from the beginning where, where the Apostle Paul in verse 13 made the God of hope. And so he's, he's making a statement about the very essence of the character of who God is. That he's the God of hope. God, God is not just the inspirer of hope, but he is the author himself of hope. He's the creator. He doesn't just give it out. It describes the essence of who God is. He is the God of hope. And so it's, it's again, not just that God is giving hope out. It's descriptive of his nature, of his character. This is the God that we serve, the God of hope. And so the beautiful truth about this is that hope is not here based on some probabilities, but it's based on the very character of God and the promises of God himself. 
all the hope that you and I have down here on this earth is based on probabilities, right? Like, so think if you have a retirement account or you have some investment or you have something else, you're banking on the probabilities of that hope working itself out. But it might not. It's a possibility, right? Even your retirement account, things could go wrong, investments go wrong, and you can lose all the money. Probably not, but that's probabilities. And so we, we put hope in those things, right? I, I, I put this much away, and so therefore it grows at this much interest, and then I should have this type, or, or whatever other thing you want to put hope in. Maybe uh, you're starting a career out, and you're thinking, I, I know if I do this work, then I'll get this. I just had a conversation with somebody who was thinking, and maybe if I transfer here, then they'll transfer me here, which is where I really want to go. But it might not work. That's all probabilities. There's no promise associated with that. Whether it's a person, a thing, a system, a spouse, whatever it is, we're banking on probabilities, but with the God of hope, we're not. We're banking on promises and his very character. Because if God breaks a promise, he is ceases to be God. He cannot break a promise that he makes because it is who he is. You're banking on the promises of the God of hope and the promises that he himself has made. Uh, in another one of Paul's letters, Titus, Paul says this, and this is a God who cannot lie. So when God promises something, he, he has to, do, he will do it. There's no doubt. These things will happen. Now, there's a very important caveat with hope because many times we have something we want and we think we can put God into a bind and we associate something we want with something that God actually never promised and then we're frustrated when that doesn't happen. But that's not what's going on in, in the Bible, that God has never promised you things that you just want. He has promised you things that he's promised you. And to know what those are, you have to know your scripture, read the Bible, understand who God is. And so when God promises to do things, he'll do them. And so these promises that he's placed over your life and over my life, that he's spoken over us and to us, these are the things that will happen. His son will return. The kingdom of heaven will be set up. You really are not condemned in Christ Jesus. You really are forgiven. You really are cleansed. You really are filled with the Holy Spirit. You really will be made new. You really will be given a reconciled, fully redeemed, and resurrected physical body. That is going to happen. God has promised that. And so our hope is not based on, I'm, putting my, I'm banking on God doing it, 90% chance. God, no, God is going to do the things he promised. And so Paul says, may the God of hope, may the one who authors it, the one who has the source of it, may the origin of hope, may this God of hope, may he do something. What does Paul say? May he fill you up. May he fill you with, with what? May, may it just begin to come up and well up in you to overflow. May he fill you with joy and peace. I heard that, whoever said joy. I know we don't talk back in this church much, but we could, we could try it. We could start. It might throw me off a little bit, though. I'm not used to it either, but we'll try. So God fills us with joy and peace. When Paul talks about joy, which Paul uses joy more than any other author in the New Testament, 21 times the Apostle Paul is going to speak of joy as the mark of a Christian. 
Now think about our current atmosphere and the way that Christians are portrayed in our world. Joy is not the mark that we are portrayed as. And yet the Bible says that joy is the mark of a Christian 21 times. But what's he talking about? He's talking about an inward satisfaction, an inward happiness of soul that wells up with delight in knowing God is my God. I am his son or daughter. I'm secure in that. Nothing can take that from me. And so this joy, this this inward satisfaction of soul is different than the superficial realities most of us deal with. And it's coupled with what the apostle here calls peace. And so he's praying that the people of God will be filled with joy and with peace. And these two things work together in conjunction. In peace, he's not talking about inward satisfaction of the soul. He's talking about an inward settledness of soul. Or maybe we could frame it in what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. He's talking about an inward unhurried life. A life of peace and calm. There's a rest and a contentment and an ease of soul that comes through the work of the Spirit. I've said this a lot of times, but if you ever get around somebody who's older in age and has been walking with Jesus for a long time, this is what you tend to see. A settledness of soul. Like They they don't get that rattled. Because the Holy Spirit has given them this joy and this peace. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this about this verse. Peace is resting joy. Joy is dancing peace. Joy cries Hosanna before the well-beloved, that's God, but peace leans her head on his chest. We work with joy and we rest with peace. There's an Australian New Testament scholar uh, described it this way. Joy relates to the delight of anticipation and seeing one's hopes fulfilled and peace results from the assurance that God will fulfill those hopes. So joy and peace are working together. Maybe you'd say they're Two sides to the same coin. And it's important at this point to stop and remember what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about like a personality type. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about the work of God, right? The essence of God's character being hope, which leads to joy and peace. He is praying that the God of hope would fill you with the evidence of the work of the Spirit at work in your life. That what is true on the inner soul of yourself would come out of that into your life. In Galatians 5, Paul lays out the fruit of the Spirit, and it starts with love, joy, peace, and patience. Right? Patience, you might say, is an outworking of peace. And so what Paul is praying and asking for the people of God is that you and I, and, and those who are reading his letter, would be filled up with the evidence of the work of the Spirit In our lives, to be filled up with this, like full to the brim with joy and peace. And and I mean, this weekend, I'm not feeling filled up to the brim with much. I'm kind of like, someone asked me this morning, how are you feeling? And I was actually honest and didn't just say, good. Uh, I'm kind of tired, kind of feeling a little exhausted this weekend. But, But he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And then he says this phrase, in Believing, And so there's a interplay there between God and us. This is the same thing we saw in John. What does John say his point in writing his letter? That you might 
believe. And so Paul is kind of playing on that. The, the working there is that phrase, in believing. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is if you follow the thread through the book of Romans, uh, in believing means that you've placed your love, your trust You've placed your confidence, your faith in the one who was sent to redeem and to reconcile you. In fact, the word confidence itself is from two Latin words, con or with and fide, faith. So to have confidence in Jesus is to have faith in him. You placed your hope in Jesus. And this is what Paul has been arguing all through the book of Romans. That although we were condemned, God has made a way where there was no way. How has he done that? Through his son. That although we were condemned, although we were without hope, without this hope from the God of hope, God himself sent Jesus in that first advent to reconcile lost sinners, right? The classic verse, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this phrase, in believing, is past tense, that we have believed, but it's also present tense, that God is working as you continue to believe, that's how God works to fill you with his peace and his love from his wellspring of hope. And so Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And so he goes on then to say why he wants this. He says, so that, and so this is a turn in the prayer where Paul's gonna outline the why behind the what of in believing, that he's gonna, he, where he's gonna say, this is why I want this for you. This is why I want the God of hope to do this for you so that the power of the Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may now abound in hope. So there's like bookends of hope on this little verse. May the God of hope abound you in hope. Now there's more in the middle there that we covered, but that's the bookends. May the God of hope overflow you with hope. And so I just want you to see what Paul in this little beautiful one line of prayer is showing us, that the God of hope is longing for us to abound in hope. Do you know that God has that in mind for you? That God wants you to be filled with hope, that he's longing for you to abound in hope, right? And abound means like too much, overflowing. How how does this happen? Well, there's a cyclical nature. This is how this works in life with God. He's saying, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm praying that you'd be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And as you're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, this inward satisfaction and settledness of soul, this joy and this peace would happen. And then I pray that that produces in you a growing desire and a growing hope in the Lord. And as you have this growing desire and abundance of hope in the Lord, it's producing in you more evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, which then leads to you wanting more, which leads to then you getting more, because hope in God is a wellspring that never runs dry. And so as long as you long to see the Spirit work in your heart more and more, and as the fruit of the Spirit is giving evidence of His work in your life, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is, evidence of the Spirit's work in your life, more and more producing joy, producing peace, producing satisfaction, and and that settledness of soul, that is going to produce an abundance of hope, which is from the source of hope, which is the God of hope that Paul the Apostle talks about. And so the good news about Jesus, about this God of hope who supplies hope, is that he's not skimpy on it. 
He, he doesn't have like a limited supply, right? Uh, all the commercials before Black Friday, limited time only. That's not true with God. It's not a limited time only, limited quantity offer. God doesn't have purchase limits like we went through for the last couple of years, right? Can only buy two of these things. No, God has an unending supply. There's no supply chain problem with hope. There's not one of us in here who doesn't need that. We can all use more hope because hope leads to joy and peace, which is what God wants for us. And so the good news for us is that God has hope for you. He he has hope to give to you, not just a little ration of it, but lavish, abundant, almost too much. And so as hope grows in you and wells up in you and spreads in you, he has more for you. As hope is small in you and is shriveled up in you and you're like, I I don't have any hope, I'm, I'm running low, God is saying to us, through this season and through this letter, I I have hope for you. I'm the source of it. It's who I am, and I want to supply you with it. I I long to give you more hope. Come to me. So the Apostle Paul prays this prayer for his people. It's a benediction, and it's a prayer, and I hope that for us as well, that the God of hope would fill us with joy and peace, which we're going to cover for the next few weeks, and love that he would do that as we continue to believe and walk with Jesus so that we, both individually and as a church family, abound in hope, that we, we overflow with hope, that nothing can rattle us because we're so filled with hope by the power of the Spirit. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this time to focus our attention on who you are, that you are a God of hope. You've given us your spirit by which we can hope in this kingdom that's coming that we don't quite see yet, but that we get this little picture of when we gather together, when we live in community with one another. And Father, I just ask that you would make us a people who are marked by hope and joy, and peace, and the fruit of the Spirit, that that would be a radical difference between us and the people that are so often struggling around us. And I just ask that you would grow in us the desire to to grow in this hope, and this joy, and this peace over this season. And as we head into the new year and spend a season in prayer, I just ask that you would do that in us so that we would come out the other side more and more like Jesus, more and more filled with the, with the Holy Spirit, more and more bearing fruit, and through that, that you would draw people to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.